Welcome into ATL Day Ones with Jarvis and Tanitra. Coming up on today's show, which former second round pick is under the most pressure to form for the Falcons? And a little revisionist history for a hawk. Which part of it is true? Which part of it is really revised? And last but not least, and for the culture, it's National Donut Day. We're talking favorites and the ones we hate. That's all coming up next right here on ATL Day Ones. Let's go. This is ATL Day Ones, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta. And it starts now. I want to start by saying thank you for making ATL Day Ones your first listen of the day. Remember, we are free and available wherever you download your podcast. Wherever you download your podcast, make sure that you leave us a five-star review. Really appreciate that from you in advance. ATL Day Ones is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now, T, we've talked about on this show about the second-round pick, Matthew Bergeron, and how he's under probably going to be have the most pressure on him to perform this year because, you know, hey, he was brought in to essentially be the starter, and he's moving from left tackle to the left guard. Now, did a little digging, start, you know, I actually read an article from D. Orlando Ledbetter, our own friend of the show. He wrote an article about three former second-round picks who have – you know, are really under the radar right now to be able to perform. And when you think about going back to Richie Grant, who was drafted in the second round in 2021, then you have Arnold Ebiketti and Troy Anderson, who were drafted in the second round of the 2022 NFL draft. When you start to think about who has the most pressure, who is who has to come through this year and, and have to really show or justify those picks this year in 2023 – Who's the one you feel like has that most pressure on them to perform? Yeah, interestingly enough, I'll go backwards to forwards. For me, okay. Troy Anderson, I understand that he was a second-round pick, but I just felt like, okay, he could also be – I know this is crazy to say for a second-round pick, but special teamer. Like, Ooh. he could be a situational player. Like, yeah. I didn't see him as a starter. I never did. Okay. Uh, so for me, I still don't feel like there's that kind of pressure on him. And there's a guy who, granted, Jarvis, he wasn't second round, he was like third or fourth round, but he was one of those guys a couple years back, if I think of the name, I'll let you know, mm. on defense, who could have gone either way, right? And he had shades of greatness his first year, his second year, but by the third year, you knew exactly why he was third or fourth round. For me, mm-hmm. mm, Troy Anderson, I'd put him in third if I had to pick or rank those three, I'd say Richie Grant, number two, because I felt like Richie Grant was pretty solidly ensconced in the starting position last year. I felt like he was solid, you know, when he was Had in. Had two picks, yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I felt like Richie Grant, yeah. mm-hmm. we saw the jump that you want to see from year one to year two. Right. To me, Arnold Ebicati, <sighs> that's probably the guy. That's probably the guy for me because, again, what has the mantra been on the show? Defense matters, but if we drill it down to the subset of that, pass rush matters. And if we drill it down to the subset of the subset, affecting the quarterback matters. So we're going to need to see more of that from Arnold Evacati. When you talk about the front seven being virtually a new-look front seven for the Falcons, He's got to make a case for why he should be a part of that, either in a starting position or at least in heavy rotation. So I feel like it's AK. 
Yeah, I'm with you on that because when you think about, you know, Richard Grant last year, out of 100 tackles, played 100% of the snaps on defense. Uh, he had a, a two picks, which uh, were tied for the lead on the team. He had a game-closing uh, pick against the Seattle Seahawks. You know, you like to see that, you know. So he was out there making plays. You know, he had some moments where he was kind of looking a little shaky. But, you know, that's to be expected when you're talking about a young football player. So uh, I think that I'm fine with Richie. Um, my expectation level for Troy Anderson, I'm like you, I'm not, weren't, weren't that high. And a lot of people got fascinated with the numbers and the speed and the 40 time and, and the size and all this stuff. Like I, my expectations for him, like if he, if he hits, okay, cool. If he doesn't, okay, cool. Because my, my level of expectation weren't that high for him when the Falcons took him in the second round last year anyway. But yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Arnold Abicati is the guy. He's the guy that has to – he has to put that pen on paper this year. And like you said, we talked about earlier as far as how on you know, third and long, if, if if Lorenzo Carter is in there and we don't see Arne Ebicati on, on, on the other side, that's going to be interesting. Or you see yeah. him in place of, of uh, Arne Ebicati, um Carter that is on, 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 on the edge rusher spot. That's going to be a problem. That's a problem because, first of all, they gave up draft capital to move up to yes. get him. And yes. we've talked about how, you know, in the last three years, T, like we want to see some defensive players come in here. And that's what needs to happen. So I think that, you know, I'm, I'm right wholeheartedly with you on that as far as uneducated being that guy and having to get home. You have to see that second year jump this year, and it has to happen because if it doesn't, we're talking about some real issues as far as continuing to not be able to draft edge rushers. Now, speaking yeah. of. And I'll tell you this much, Jarvis. <laughs> exactly. And as we talk real time on this show, you guys know I'm headed down to the bends for OTAs. If I see AK, one of the questions that I'm going to have for him is to ask him how he feels. What has he done in the offseason to put himself in position to make that jump? And how yeah. does having the likes of it and just extending it from a veteran perspective, not just from a positional perspective, but how is it go having the likes of a Calais Campbell, a David Onyemata to learn from, and now going into a second year uh, playing alongside a low Carter? So I'd love to, you know, maybe we'll revisit this on Monday, kind of see where his mind is in terms of where he thinks and knows he needs to jump for this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think one... I think it's so a very great segue, by the way, you know, that's coming because, you know, we think about, you know, the tradition of not being able to draft edge rushers. Well, um, <clears throat> Mr. Cam Jordan, uh, you know, the father of uh, Caleb McGarry, uh, he's opened his mouth because, you know, I <laughs> like I don't like Cam Jordan, but I like Cam Jordan because here's the thing, T. The dude has been one of the more consistent edge rushers in the NFL ever since he touched down in the NFL. And like you said, and as much as I hate to admit this, the dude is a borderline Hall of Famer. You got to at least have – he needs to at least be in the conversation for that. Now, this tweet, though, somebody was trying to, you know, trying to call him a little – you know, how the young folks say mid when they show all of his accomplishments on a particular tweet. He responded by saying, hey, mid, if I'm mid, then your favorite franchise is poverty-stricken. Has never drafted a pass rusher worthy of having a career there. Y'all just hire mercenaries, and I can't name a Falcons DN, D-tackle, heck, outside linebacker that's had over 70 sacks in black and red. Whoo! 
Shots fired doesn't even begin. More the shots. Yeah. Like, I mean, he came out with a militia. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Yeah. I mean, with no pun intended, but with an AK-47, like in the form of, what is he, 74, number 74? Four. 94, yeah. 94, excuse me, 94. (laughs) Yeah, he came out with an AK-47 on 94. And isn't that something? AK-47 times two is 94. I'm just saying. But like that guy, did he tell a lie, though? That's the thing. Like, let's be honest. Did he tell a lie is the question. I would say. If he did tell a lie, guess how far? Then the, the lie is in maybe not ever, but I name the last one. Ooh, like I had to do, I had to do my research. T. I know, Claude Humphrey, I know. That's why I Claude made that Humphrey. Point. I had to go dig deep. Claude Humphrey, what ninety nine and, and a half sacks? So okay. you know, like. And, and here's the thing, Ooh, Claude Humphrey. That's a long time ago. <laughs> right, and and just to kind of give some insight to that, I had a chance mm-hmm. to speak with Mr. Claude on his Rest way in into yeah. mm-hmm. getting inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And one of the reasons that it took Mr. Claude so long to get in is because the Falcons have absolutely, positively no history in that space. None whatsoever. Now, when you look at the Saints, right, wrong, or indifferent, once Ricky got in, it was an avalanche. Not all defensive players, by the way, because Will Smith got in as well, but it was an avalanche. My point being the fact that we have to go back to Mr. Claude Humphrey to have this conversation, Mm -hmm. and then we can't really point to anybody since Mr. Claude Humphrey, that is a problem. That is an absolute problem. So you may not have liked the way that Cam Jordan trolled it, but he didn't tell a lie necessarily. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully that this is the year. Hopefully, Jarvis, this is the year that that it'll right the ship. The Falcons yeah. will right the ship. Yeah, and our advocated to get off to a good start and try, and hopefully approaching at least getting close to seventy cents because you know like. When when dudes do their research like that, T, mm-hmm. that kind of tells you how the, the next level of pettiness that Cam Jordan has in his life against the Falcons, and he will continue yeah. to do that oh, yeah. as we go Because he knows. Along. I'm sure Matt Ryan read that tweet and got triggered. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he, was, he had a twitch. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you know, you know, if you got a twitch or an itch, to try to doggone get, get your little gambling on and, and try to do a little something when it comes to getting some money, dropping some money on the NBA Finals. Ooh, did you get did you win last night? Did you check it out? Guess what? FanDuel is the place that you need to go to because it is the number one sports book in America. And, yes, we have a good deal just for you. All you new customers, guess what? They have the no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. Yes, I said $2,500. That is a lot of money. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So if you betted on the Miami Heat last night to win that game, I'm sorry. Sorry for you. But guess what? FanDuel got you covered. And it's safe. It's secure. It's super easy to use. You don't have to worry about anybody getting all your information. There's going to be everything right there. And as soon as that bet clears, you're going to get your money right then and there. So you don't have to worry about anything. So guess what? I want you to head to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more about the no-sweat first bet up to $2,500 if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel it is the official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
Jarvis, you can call it selective amnesia, you can call it revisionist history, or you can just call it POV. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case may be, you'll hear it from that angle based on your perception if you listen to another podcast. Now, of course, we appreciate you checking out ATL Day Ones Everydayers because we always want to hear from you guys. The comments that you drop are always, we're going to call them interesting and just leave Very it right there. But yeah, we appreciate the interesting comments that you leave for us on YouTube. And of course, don't forget to download our podcast wherever you check out your podcast. But there's another one out there that you might want to check out as well. A new one called From the Point. That is from Trey Young, of course. And that's his opportunity to kind of go where he wants to go and say the things he wants to say. As Jarvis would say in FTC, whatever the hell he wants to say. So one of the things that he wanted to say was probably just a little bit of clearing up, like really just clearing the air. So as a part of one of his episodes, the conversation, of course, went to Coach Nate McMillan. And he basically said, people can say what they want, but me and Coach had a really good relationship. That was a very interesting comment, I thought. But when you heard that comment, what were your thoughts? Um, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> that was the first thing that came to my mind. I'm sitting oh, wow. like, like what? Like, 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 what did I miss? Did I miss the spats on the on the sidelines? And you kind of fanning him off, or not even paying attention to when in timeouts, you know, or sitting outside the huddle, or or you know, like. Like, or getting into it with his son after he was fired. Like, so, yeah, there was some animosity there. Like, there was some angst there. So, like, that's why I'm kind of – it's kind of hard for me to kind of follow Trey sometimes because I really like him as a player. I, I love his mentality and how he attacks the game and everything like that. But when it comes to this off-the-court stuff, that's where I get uber frustrated with this dude because I'm sitting up here like – Man, there we I'm talking about from sources. Like we know people. We talk to people inside the organization and saying that it was not good. Now it wasn't as bad as Lloyd Pierce's situation. Now, if he would have said that crap, I was like, hey man, you need to be slapped upside your head because we all know that was toxic. But it wasn't on that level, but there was some angst there. There was some 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 animosity there because look at how he talked about Quinn Snyder. And we know, we know how it is. Like, when you go through, not, not you necessarily, but when people go through divorces, like, they look for qualities in a person that their, their, their previous spouse didn't have. And guess what? He found that in Quinn Schneider. He's found those qualities that he really, really likes. So he continues to highlight it each and every time he gets a chance to when you talk about Quinn Schneider. So that's how you know it was a problem or issue with Nate McMillan and how he handled things or how he ran things. So, yeah, like, I'm like, okay, Trey, I get the whole trying to start a podcast, and he kept saying it as I was listening through it. Um, he kept saying, like, hey, I want to be able to clear the air on here. I want to be able to be the source to go to. But if you ain't going to keep it funky, if you ain't going to keep it a buck, there's no reason for you to be doing this podcast because to sit up here and say that you and Nate McMillan had a great relationship is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, if you don't give it context, because right. I feel like – that's a half truth, right? Yeah. I don't feel like it's the, the full truth. And of course, we don't know everything, but we do have sources. Yeah, and sources were consistent. Multiple sources said, no, that relationship, it's soured in the end. Now, I think with Lloyd Pierce, that relationship soured much faster and it soured across the whole, the entire locker room. Right. But with Nate, actually, it seemed like a really good working relationship. I can recall going to the press conference when Nate was formally introduced as the head coach 
for the Hawks and him talking about some of the conversations he had with Trey, some of the things that he did to try to just understand this generation relative to how his generation operated. Right. right. And so yeah. it was good in the beginning. And then even when it got a little testy ahead of last season, I believe he went to Oklahoma to just try to patch things yeah. up or kind of work it, it out or you know, just to kind of bond in some way, shape or form off the court that would translate to what Trey was doing on the court. Ultimately, it was just one of those marriages that was great while it was great. But yeah. when it when it ended, like when it was over, it was done, done. And it there was up, really yeah. no period of legal separation or anything. No, we're done here. I think that's really what it is. And it's okay to say that, Trey. Like, if you want to tell us that piece of like, yeah, it was really, really good when he was the interim. It was good for about a year and a half when he was the full-on head coach, the official head coach, and then it just fell off a cliff. That's okay to admit. And you can even say that was two-sided, right? It doesn't have to mean that just because it went off a cliff that we think it was all your fault. That's not what we're saying. But, yeah, that one was interesting to me because I thought, well, kind of flies in the face of what we've heard from a lot of our sources. Now, what does not fly in the face of what we've heard from sources and what we said ourselves was the Nuggets winning yes. game one against the Heat. We, we thought that's what it was going to be. I think the, the line was, what, eight and a half? It went up to nine uh, mm-hmm. by the end of the day. And, of course, they end up winning by 11, 104 to 93. But the real story is this. And this is the question I wanted to kind of pose to you. We talked about it pre-production, but I'm going to pose it slightly differently. And that is this. Not necessarily... Well, from your perspective, which Heat team do you think is the one that we're going to see show up? Because if the question becomes, okay, are the Heat done? Well, what's the definition of done? Like, what's the definition of finished? Like, what's the definition of this being over? Let me start right there. Well, let me, I put it like this. Like, last night kind of reminded me, as I was sitting there watching that game, it kind of reminded me of the the Celtics Heat series, right? And follow me here a little bit. When... Because the Heat weren't able to make shots. They were getting shots. They were getting opportunities to make shots, but they just weren't falling. And a lot of times, that backup plan in the playoffs, like you have to be able to have that. You have to be able to go to that at times because at the end of the day, you're not gonna make shot, you're not gonna make all those shots all the time. You know what I mean? So, and that's and I feel like the Celtics, they didn't have the answer. When they weren't making shots, it was just like, okay, here we're gonna take this L tonight, and hopefully we can make shots in this game. So that that's why I try to start to feel like okay the Heat might be in trouble because because I mean true enough Joker dropped the triple double and all that stuff but you know Jamal Murray was handling things he was the yes. leading scorer you yes. know and doing his thing like he was like he was but I think at the end of the day like the Heat are going to be in serious trouble if they don't have a backup plan to go to if their shots aren't falling and if their their shots aren't falling. Like, you can see how Joker made that game look easy. Like, it was just like finding the guys. When they switched to the zone, he was able to, you know, get up into the middle of the paint and find the open man who was cutting to the basket. It was just, it just, he just made things look really simple last night. And I think that if the Heat aren't sitting right now, Eric Spolster isn't sitting right now as we speak, trying to figure out a way to come up with a game plan from offensively when those shots aren't falling. Like, they're going to be in some serious trouble, I feel. Right. And one of the things I will say as well is Michael Malone clearly had a plan. Michael Malone clearly said everyone is going to get in this game and make a contribution before Nikola Jokic goes off. Because Nikola Jokic was quiet. He was more of a facilitator than looking for his shot and finding his shot, really, for two and a half, almost three quarters. So Mm -hmm. him scoring 26 points uh, and – 
I'm sorry, 27 points and uh, Jamal Murray scoring 26. Jamal Murray's 26 actually primarily came in those first three quarters. Yep. And then quietly it was like, okay, everybody's good. Everybody's in. Then I'm, I'm now I'm going to work. So yeah, it was exactly. really beautiful to see to the point where only three other times have we seen two players on one team have a 2010 night as it relates to points and assists. They're in company with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, who did it twice. Magic Johnson and James Worthy, who did it once. That's what, that's how much, that's how amazing they were. But that said, up by 24 points, the Heat are still a scrappy bunch. They yeah. got that lead down to nine points. And if Bam Adebayo's shots would have just fallen a little bit more, yeah. and if they would have been a bit more aggressive getting to the free throw line, then maybe that would have made it different. I still think the Nuggets would have won, by the way. But I yeah. think that's why, for me, the series is not over. I still call it a six-game, maybe seven-game series, only because there those those two pieces. Yeah, you got to be more aggressive. You got to get to the free throw line and slow the game down when your shots aren't falling. Yeah, and that'll give you the opportunity to maybe figure some things out. Like, okay, I'm slowing it down. I'm getting to the free throw line to whittle away this lead that the Nuggets have, and then I can figure out maybe somebody will get a hot hand in the interim, right? Yeah, because we called out our X factors. Bam Adebayo was yeah. an X factor for me. He had virtually the same line he'd had the first two games: 26 points, what nine, uh, 14 rebounds. I mean, yeah. the stat line was the same. Mm -hmm. So. To your point, the others have to be able to do what they're supposed to do. They've got to make their shots hit, and yeah. they've got to do things. They've got to play with the basketball IQ that you and I had called out. I saw yeah. several times where they were rushing shots early in the shot clock. Not necessary. Just be the smart team you were against Boston, and I think you'll be just fine. We'll see Sunday night whether or not they'll be just fine. We shall see. But, you know, again, everydayers, what are your thoughts? I mean, we think that. I think that there's still opportunity. I don't know, Jarvis. You sound like you're calling it in game in five games. But <laughs> yeah, about, about five. You know, five. Yeah, Jarvis is like calling five. it in five games. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it still six, um, seven on on a. I don't know, seven. I only say because you got to watch out for the injuries. Michael Porter Jr. took a, a nasty fall last night, and that yes. concerned me. That concerned yes. me. But every day is like we tell you all the time. Give us your comments. Let us know your thoughts. And one of these good days, you never know. You might hear us call your name out. You know how you'll know if you continue to check out ATL Day Ones on YouTube or wherever you download your podcasts. But T, this is for the culture. It is the intersection between sports, entertainment, the culture, and sometimes whatever the hell we want to talk about. Because that's just how we get down on this show. Today is no different. T, when you think about, you know, um, food days, you know, we are a show that we consider ourselves, you know, foodies. So, you know, when, when these days come about, we're going to talk about them because, hey, that's just how we get down. Because, like I said, we talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. So today is National Donut Day. And how about this, T? There are some places Woo! that you can go right now. Yes. Right now. Yes, I said right. Right now to go get some free donuts. But, you know, I, I would be remiss. I wouldn't be. I will lose my Atlanta credibility if I didn't say that my most favorite donut has to be Krispy Kreme with the glaze, baby. With the with the when that hot sign is on, that is my absolute go-to. What about you? I was just telling uh, one of our buddies and friend to the show, Dylan Matthews, that I live for the days that I pass by Krispy Kreme and the light is not on. Oh, because that's dangerous when that okay. light is on. Okay, but right. okay. I will that's say fair. I have a lot of <laughs> restraint because even when the light is on, I will pull up in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, you know, you know me. I have restraint mm -hmm. uh, with yes. food, and so yes. I'll pull up and be like, "I'd like one glaze," and they're like, 
one. <laughs> and the funny thing yes. is, they either do one or two things. Shout out to everybody at all the cookie creams because they either give me two or they give them to me for free. Yeah, they pretty much give me two for free. Because wow. I think they're just blown away that somebody would have the audacity and the unmitigated goal to ask for one in place. I don't, I don't even know how to charge for that, ma'am. Uh, can you order six like everybody else, at least? <laughs> right. They don't right. They were like, we know how to calculate a half dozen, but one? What are we supposed to do? But no, right. I'm actually a fan of this spot that I'm about to go to as soon as we wrap up here. And that is, my favorite is Sublime. Oh. Sublime Donuts. Oh, yeah. Here in, hmm. here in Atlanta. Because we have a spot back home Ooh. called Ronnie's that okay. I tell people all the time it would run circles around Krispy Kreme. I don't care what you ATL folks say. Oh, you can see why you want to try to start violence. Like you trying to join Cam Jordan. Yep, you trying to go into that. <laughs> you trying to choose violence today, T. Sure what is going did. on with this? Yep, sure oh, Dad, don't do it like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, to me, and it's like you said, it's it's the basic. And the funny thing is, Sublime, of course, we know, has all of those crazy flavors, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't even do. Yeah, I don't even do the crazy flavors, by the way. Yeah. I still keep it simple. They do a bow tie that is unbelievably good. So I yeah. just go with my bow tie and keep it moving. Yep, one bow tie. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I, I'll probably say, like, on the other side of that, when it comes to, you know, what I don't like, I've never been able to get into, and I will never get into, anything with the cream-filling tea. Like, yes. I am so good on cream-filled donuts. Yeah. Just because, like... Just because I'm a 12 year old and I'm just like, nah, I'm cool. I ain't trying to bite anything, bite into anything and stuff comes out. Nah, I'm cool. Yeah, I'm cool on it's that. Just, I'm good. Uh, good. Right. And it just it feels weird. <laughs> it tastes weird. It looks weird. Yeah. The whole thing. I just don't get it. To me, it like compromises the flavor that I'm going for, which is the donut itself. Yeah. So I could care less for you to do all that. I mean, you know, if you get the little sprinkles on them every now and again, I mean, that's fine. I don't really need all that. Because uh Brandy Mac. Our guy, Randy Mack, his uh, son, I guess he likes the Simpsons, right? So they okay. did the coolest thing. They did like a donut tower yeah. okay. of the Simpson type donuts. Now, that was cool and that was good and oh, I ate cool. that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, but yeah. My thing, my beef, Dylan Matthews, once again with him, is this one likes cake donuts. Cake huh? donuts. Cake, cake donuts. Jarvis, that is the driest, Dry. nastiest, oh, yes. First word coffee cake-tasting donut Dry. ever. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. I mean, who does that, Dylan? Who does that? Just eat cake. That? Like, why I need a yeah. cake donut? Just eat some, I just almost cake, told bro. him, don't come back to the show. <laughs> cake donut. Now, you trying to hurt people's feelings now when you say that. Yeah. You know, like but Dylan, then I was like, no, we love Dylan, so he's yeah, coming absolutely. back to the show. Yes, he's definitely going to come <laughs> we, back. Yeah, we, sure, can't, but... we can't go against him. But I will tell you, I do, yeah, like you said, I love a good Krispy Kreme. And I think the coolest thing is when you have those opportunities to bring the piping hot dozen to wherever you are. I brought them to work before, I brought them to church before. Now that to me is the coolest thing. And like you said, Krispy Kreme will give you a free donut. Now you better bring that 209 if you want that bow tie from Sublime today because they got nothing for you. And if you want Dunkin', which I don't know why someone will want Dunkin', I'm just not a yeah. fan, yeah. but you have to purchase, make a purchase today to get a free donut from Dunkin'. But yeah, Jarvis. National Donut Day. I'm about to swing through that backside of Georgia Tech and get my bow tie on my way to Falcons OTA. So, of course, we're going to have more information for you guys, a little feedback, a little insight. I'll catch up with Jerry Gray today, the assistant head coach on defense. 
And hopefully we'll catch up with some other guys. Like we said, if we catch up with Arnold Epikaji, we'll ask him those questions about where he's going in his second year and get you guys the reaction on Monday. And hopefully Jarvis will be able to as well say that the Braves are coming home with a winning road record as they get set to take on the D-backs this weekend. And of course, we're going to download with you on game two. So you guys enjoy the beautiful weekend out there in the A. I know I will. And last but not least, make sure that you share love, show love, and most importantly, Spread love, stop all this hating.